We'll be in James chapter 3 today. James continues this letter focusing on the difference between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. And quite often, wisdom is determined by a person's political or socioeconomic um, viewpoints. Many people consider their professors wise or their CEOs or government officials, and they think those are the wise people. And um, the probability is that they do have a earthly wisdom. They do have some knowledge and, and, and some wisdom that would be defined as smart, hopefully, uh, if they're in those positions. But the top of the wisdom scale for man's wisdom is beneath the bottom of the wisdom scale for God's wisdom, always. Because God's wisdom, the bottom of his scale, never goes below perfection. So we can trust that God's scale won't be reached by us while we're here trying to accomplish our will or our make our wisdom reach his. It won't happen. But the viewpoint of those people that we mentioned, the CEOs, the government officials, so on and so forth, if they are in line with the wisdom of God, if they are in line with biblical truth, then they are also tapping into the source of truth, the source of wisdom, and they can very well be making very wise decisions. And I pray that each of us, when we're making decisions in our lives, that we consider that. Before we make decisions based on what the world tells us, what the TV tells us, what the newspapers tell us, before we make those decisions, we go to the source of wisdom, to God. And we know that because we're believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we have the mind of Christ. So we have a resource that gives us everything that we need when it comes to wisdom beyond what the world offers. And that's important. We can look at spreadsheets and numbers all day long, but when it comes to the truth and real wisdom, that comes from God. So today's message is titled, The Origin of Wisdom. As we continue our study through James with chapter 3, we're going to continue in verse 13, where James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So James gives us the method for revealing wisdom and understanding to those around us. The, the method is through good conduct. That's how we are able to reveal that we have wisdom from God. It's through our good conduct and the true intents of our heart will be revealed when we act upon what we believe and the truth that is inside of us. He says that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. What James implies here is that wisdom isn't demonstrated through force, or through arrogance. You don't want to force someone into wisdom. You can't. Because the more you force, the more they resist. 
There are many people in the world who we would consider wise, like the CEOs and the political people that we know, and we assume they're wise, or else they wouldn't be in those positions, right? Okay. Those assumptions may be invalidated by their actions, by what they do with what they believe. And then you look and you think, that guy was so wise, why is he in jail? What happened? You know, and there are lots of people that end up in that situation because they didn't rely on the wisdom of God. They may have started there even. There are many that have started with the wisdom of God and branched out. I think of Solomon, who had all the wisdom of God, yet he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Or the other way around. But what was he thinking? I mean, you know, it shows that even the wisest man can make silly choices and decisions. Meekness is not an attribute that we usually ascribe to the A-type person. That's, you know, it's not usually meekness that we see. If someone's demonstrating a meek spirit, though, it would be hard to um, see them as um, being overconfident and, and aggressive. And a person with a meek spirit usually doesn't display that. But uh, we're usually considered those people, we consider them to be assertive and, and even to the point of being overbearing, but we consider them wise. Oh, they, they must be wise to have an arrogance like that. You know, and I've been accused of being arrogant in the past. Not now, though. Oh, that laughter wasn't good. Wow. Uh, but, you know, being arrogant, it, it, it's, uh, there's an arrogance in that we're just being arrogant personally. It comes from just personal arrogance. There is also a way of being arrogant without being overbearing, and that's being arrogant about what we believe, our truth. And that, it sounds bad, it's a bad word, arrogant. But when we present the truth, we don't have to present the truth in arrogance. We can present the truth in meekness, and we should present the truth in meekness. Because if arrogance was always the right way to do things, Jesus would have been an arrogant character. But he wasn't an arrogant person at all. He was meek. But that doesn't mean that he backed off when he spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He got right in their face and he told them what the truth was. And he didn't have a problem calling them uh, a few names and, and telling them about their character in very colorful language, but not to the point of being rude or crass. He was just calling it as it was. And uh, we, we sometimes get confused with, well, meekness means we always have to be on the defensive and we always have to uh, yield to everyone. Yielding isn't a bad thing. We're going to get to that in a minute. but. A meek spirit does not necessarily mean a weak spirit. And we should have a meekness about us. James tells us that wisdom is demonstrated through a 
spirit of meekness. And if someone's demonstrating that type of spirit, it would be very hard for them to display bad conduct. You see, we're told to do everything in good conduct. And so if you have a spirit of meekness, you're probably not going to have a lot of bad conduct coming out of that type of spirit. So he's been encouraging us that works along with faith is the indication of salvation in someone's life. And as we grow deeper in our relationship with the Lord, we should see our character change. And I know what I used to be like 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. I know what my character was like, and I know how it has changed. And it continues to change. God continues to work in my life. And as he's working, there's going to be an outward change. Even though it's not me, I'm not the one saying, well, I've got to change. I've got to change this. No, it's I've got to absorb the truth I've got to adhere to what the Word of God says, and that's what will change me. That's what's going to make me change. If I ate three Big Macs a day, I would change, and you'd see it. You see? And I, would, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but Cheryl may. Um, you know, but I know that I, I can eat three Big Macs. I, yeah, I can, but I know I shouldn't eat three Big Macs a day. And so I know that it would change me in a negative way. But when I'm changing myself in a positive way through the Word of God, it's evident to those around me. And that's the way we're told to be here. So we should see a softening of our character as we grow more mature in the Lord, as we understand the truth more, as we adhere to this, it becomes to change uh, our character. And that's how we demonstrate Jesus to the world. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls." He's lowly and gentle in spirit. And that's where we're going to find rest for our souls. So going back to verse 1, where um, James was talking about, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Uh, I believe that part of this text is referring back to that. James is referring back to pastors also that when you're wise um, and seeking the truth, that it's going to be demonstrated through your character as a pastor. But I believe it also applies to the whole flock. So you wouldn't expect to see what James mentions here in the lives of Christians in these next verses. So when we read these, we can say that's not a Christian characteristic. It says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth, verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. When envy seeps into the heart, it forms bitterness. And that's demonstrated in our speech and our actions. Other people can see the bitterness that comes out of envy. And then envy, when it gets a foothold, it turns into self-seeking, looking out 
for our own interest rather than the interests of others. There's a saying, the way to joy is by serving Jesus, others, and yourself. That's what joy stands for, Jesus, others, and self, uh, and, and yourself. So when we're doing things in that order, uh, we're doing things, putting others before ourselves, we're not self-seeking. And, and that's just a natural result of doing things with joy. We do it without self-seeking. But anytime you put anything before Jesus, even others or yourself before Jesus, or if you put yourself before everything, you're going to have problems. It's going to be reflected in your lifestyle. It's going to be reflected in how you act, what you say, and, uh, and people will see it. It will be noticeable. So serving self ends up with boasting and lying against the truth, twisting the truth to support your agenda. We see that on TV all the time. Two different people talking about the same subject, and they are completely on different sides of, of what they're saying. They, they disagree with each other vehemently as they discuss these things. How can they not have any common ground on these things? Because they're seeking their own agenda. They have their own plan. They have their own truth. I thought there was only one truth. Are there multiple forms of truth? No. There's one truth. And generally, you're not going to find it on TV. So don't go looking for truth on TV. But we know where we can find truth. The source of truth, the origin of truth, is through the Word of God and through His Holy Spirit. You know, uh, people uh, ask me that. Well, you know, how do you know something is, you know, true? Well, first of all, we go to the Word of God. Well, it doesn't say anything in there about that. You know, in, in the Bible, there is no, there's not about this topic. Well, then you go to God and say, Lord, tell me about this. What do I do? What makes, what's truth, what's not truth? What's right and what's wrong? And I guarantee you, because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, God answers. Through the Holy Spirit, he's going to speak to you and he's going to let you know. You know, and, and you're going to know whether you're not you're doing something wrong or you're doing something right. You're going to feel it. Now, it's not the burning in the bosom type of feeling, okay? This is a feeling where you instinctively know this is wrong. It's like the feeling when after you just done cooking on the stove that you don't go putting your hand on the stove. You don't have to. Now, I do sometimes. Is that still hot? You know? But I don't go going, hey, is that hot? Oh! You know? I'm not stupid about it. You know? And quite often the Holy Spirit speaks to us and tells us, you know, this is right, this is wrong. And all we have to do is be receptive. To the we have to be seeking, though. Quite often, we don't even question. We question after the fact. You know, Lord, can you bless that? I, I just did this. I just signed my name to that contract. Can you bless it? Whoa. 
you know, a little late. And sometimes we suffer the consequences of our actions because of what we've done. But So the wisdom of the Holy Spirit will always lead us to the truth. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to feel good about it either. It doesn't mean that every time we're in the truth, we feel good. I'm sure Joseph didn't feel good when, uh, you know, Potiphar's wife was coming on to him and wanted to lay with him. And, and here he is, you know, trying to get away. You know, he knew it was wrong. So he's backing off and trying to get away. And he, he goes running away and she rips his robe from him. And he goes, he goes running out there naked out, and, out into the... He was the first streaker. <laughs> and, and, and he goes running away without his clothes. And I'm sure that didn't feel good. And then he spent time in jail because of it. He didn't do anything wrong. You know, but he was definitely in the center of God's will. God had a plan to use what was going on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't like, you know, it's a little chilly out here. Maybe we'll go in the furnace. You know, maybe we can. No, they weren't thinking that. But they were in the center of the will of God. The Holy Spirit was completely covering them as they were placed into the furnace. And God, if they didn't get in the furnace, God wouldn't have been glorified like that, right? So sometimes we have to get into the furnace. And, and that's not a good feeling, but if it glorifies God, it's all there. The benefit is all going to be there in the long run. That's the wisdom of God. So finally, James goes, he, he began with earthly um, wisdom. Now he goes to sensual and then to demonic. So it says we can rest assured um, that demonic wisdom is not from God. Okay? Can, can we all agree with that? Demonic wisdom will never be from God. Uh, there are people who worship Satan. They worship Satan because they believe that his wisdom is wiser than earthly wisdom, and so they could trust in his wisdom to do more here on earth and to advance their agendas here on earth. They believe that. Now, I'm not saying that they're saying, oh, Satan, but they have found ways to advance their agenda by what they believe and what they're speaking, what they do, because they have found that there is this source, this source of information that makes them do things better or um, uh, gets them further than what average people are able to do. They don't know that the source of this information is Satan some of the time, but some of the time they do, and they don't care because the one thing they won't do is submit to God. They will not submit to God. See, because if they identify with the wisdom of God and say, well, God does have all truth and he does have all wisdom, if they recognize that, then they have to submit themselves to him. The people that say, well, you know, Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. You know, he wasn't deity, but he was a good teacher. Well, if he was a good teacher, then he was a liar because he called himself God. So would you follow someone that was a liar but had good teaching? 
that doesn't make sense. Because if someone is telling the truth, it's the whole truth. You want to believe it all. You don't want to have to discern whether or not, oh, well, part of this is true and part of this is I don't want to discern that way. A prophet is known by their accuracy. If they were accurate 99 times but failed one time, they're not a prophet. Not a prophet of God. So a prophet is accurate 100% of the time. And, and that's why don't ever call me a prophet. Uh, because, you know, if I come up with something, you know, that, that is me instead of God, then, uh, you know, because I'm human, I can make mistakes. But when I'm preaching the Word of God and teaching the Word of God, it's the Word of God. I'm not going to interject something in there that is not the truth. Amen. Unknowingly, I may say something that, you know, later on someone says, well, you said this, but really it means, you know, oh, okay, let me look at it. But I'll go back and correct myself. And if you've ever heard me correct myself, I've done it once. Um, so, um, so... I feel another one coming. You feel another one coming? <laughs> Barry says that there's more than once. Killing me here. This is a tough audience. So, wow. People, um, they're lured in by demonic oppression. They're, they're lured in by demonic wisdom because it promises them greater things. It promises them more. And, and people are lured in by that because it's self-seeking. It, it, it feeds the flesh. And they want more. I remember as a, as a youngster, as a 19-year-old, I remember wanting more power. I remember wanting more. And I was delving into stuff I shouldn't have been delving into. I, I was, um, I, I didn't care what it was. Now, I was raised Catholic, so I, you know, had an understanding of the spiritual realm. It was kind of warped. But um, as I started getting into these other spiritual areas, that's when God got a hold of me. God got a hold of me saying, what you're doing is wrong, and this is stupid. And, and he sent someone to preach the gospel to me, where I immediately, when I heard it, I knew it was the truth, and I believed it. And I started walking with the Lord from that time on. But that doesn't mean the enemy stopped trying to get to me. Because at that point, now he just wanted to beat me down. He's still trying to do that to you, too. It, it wasn't just a Rick Ponzo thing because the enemy doesn't want any of us to be effective in sharing the good news of the gospel, whether we do it through speech or whether we do it through our lives. He doesn't want us to be effective or impact anyone in the world. So people are lured by demonic oppression. They're hoping to have power and knowledge that the average world doesn't have. And that's why James says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and evil, uh, are, and every evil thing are there. You know, that is indicative of the state of our world today, isn't it? We're seeing evil everywhere around us, and people are calling good evil and evil good because of this demonic impact that's affecting all of the world. 
These people, they don't want to submit to God. They, they're just like being led astray, just like Lucifer believed that he could become God. He wanted the power of God. That's what his fall was all about, pride. And the same way that he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, he's still deceiving to this day. There are many people being led astray even today. James contrasts earthly wisdom with the wisdom of God in verse 17, where he says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Wisdom from God begins with being poor, uh, pure, excuse me, pure. And poor doesn't hurt either. But, um, but wisdom from God comes from purity. There will never be an impure wisdom from God. Because there is no sin in God. There are no lies. There is complete truth, complete purity in God. People get confused with the Bible, and they think that because of all these generations of man that have translated the Bible and retranslated it, and it's been in all of these different iterations, that now we don't have a very accurate Bible. And that, you know, now it's just a lot of writing from man. Yeah, God is kind of weak that way. He's not able to secure the integrity of the word of God, right? You know, he was just barely able. And fortunately, he had evolution to help him out to make... (laughs) Right? I mean, it's ridiculous some of the things that people believe. But when you believe in an all-powerful God a gracious, loving creator who brought us into existence, brought the whole world, the whole universe into existence. He knows every star by name. And and there's nothing that's outside of his knowledge and control and his wisdom. There's nothing outside of it. And so when we consider all of that, we know that the word of God stands exactly the way he wants it to today. Now, there are people that pervert it, convert it, and mistranslate it. We have other mistranslations of the Word of God. Um, the, The Jehovah Witnesses have their own translation. They've taken the Word of God, and they've changed the words for their purposes. So it fits their doctrine. And most people that go to those churches don't know that. They don't know that they're being duped. And it just takes just a few minor changes to take away the deity of Christ. You see? And and that's what the world wants to do. The world wants to take away the deity, the truth, the, the majesty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the one who pours his grace and mercy out upon us to the point where we're free from our sin. Uh, The world wants to remove that so that they can feel justified in what they do. And uh, that's a shame. So 
the wisdom of man is subject also to changes. The wisdom of man is. I mean, technological changes. As technology gets better, as we learn more about our earthly, you know, existence here, our things change. And we realize, oh, what we believed before isn't the truth because now we have advances in technology and understanding and so on and so forth. They, you know, at one point, I think they believed there was only like 8,000 stars. You know, that was the original, you know, belief or something like that. And, and, and some number that is so low, it's just incredible. But once they had advances in science and they were able to see out there into the universe, they realized you can't even count the number of stars that are out there. And, you know, the planets, they didn't know how many planets were in our solar system. Now they do. You know, so it, it's just that our advances in technology has now increased our ability. But it isn't the truth. It doesn't contain all truth. We don't know. When they landed on the moon, they were expecting 50 feet of cosmic dust. That's what they expected. Because they can determine the number, uh, the impact of cosmic dust that impacts the moon every year. So, because the Earth is 400 million years old, and the moon had to have been created at the same time, that means that there's going to be 50 feet of cosmic dust. So when they originally designed the lunar module, they placed shovels inside because, and remember, when the lunar module landed, it had those big pads, the big feet that when it landed. And the reason why was because they didn't want it to sink so much into the sand, and so into the moon dust. So they had all these shovels all ready to, to and when they came crashing down and landing on the moon, it landed in just this much cosmic dust, and they took samples everywhere to figure out what, what's going on. Where did all the dust go? A and it, it's in my house. I left the window open, you know, and you get the sun just right, you can see it. But where did it all go? And uh, I know Cheryl may think <laughs> otherwise, but I've seen it. And, and so the reason why they only landed on 10 inches uh, of or even less of, of this cosmic dust was because of the fact that the moon is only 10,000 years old or less. A and that's when the whole world was created, everything was created. A and it confirmed that by landing on the moon, they confirmed that that's how old the moon really was. They had to come up with another story. They had to make up a new lie as to what actually happened to all that dust on the moon. You see, the truth is the truth, and it's always going to be the truth. But science doesn't confirm uh, the truth. Science reveals the truth sometimes, but the truth confirms that science is wrong quite often. And uh, that's reality. So, uh, back in our study here, uh, when the wisdom of God, uh, it never becomes antiquated. You see, our worldly wisdom becomes antiquated because it's, it, it's overcome by the truth when they find new truths, and it continues to change. It's a moving target. God's truth never becomes antiquated. It never becomes out of date. It's always true, and it always will be true. His Wisdom is also peaceable, we're told here. 
It doesn't mean that everyone that hears the wisdom of God will be in peace, will have peace in their lives. It, it doesn't produce peace. It is peace in having the truth. If we trust in the word of God and the wisdom of God, if we trust in it, it can bring peace to our lives. Now, there were many, as we read Paul's writings and stuff, there were many that as he was writing to them, they didn't have peace. They were all confused about what was going on, and they, they were concerned about what was going on. And that's how come Paul kept writing to them and, and telling them, you can have peace in this. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to die. But you're going to have peace in that. You know, and so when he wrote about the rapture and was telling them, you know, that, you know, the dead in Christ will rise first and after that, the rest of us will be taken, comfort each other with these words. It was a comfort. It wasn't meant to cause people to be concerned. We can be comforted by the word of God, even though we know there's going to be some tragic stuff happening. When Jesus told the apostles what was going to happen in the last days, it wasn't good news. You know, but he knew they weren't going to experience it. But he was telling them anyway because the people that were going to experience it needed to hear it. That's us. We're here. So even if we go home to be with the Lord before he returns, we can have that confidence that those things are going to take place. But I believe he can come at any time. And when he does, that's going to be confirmed. His truth will be confirmed in what takes place then. The wisdom of God is also gentle. It never imposes itself on anyone. God doesn't force anyone to believe anything. It's also willing to yield, we're told. That's right in line with being gentle, being willing to yield to others. And, and a lot of times we think, well, we should yield when um, you know, we are confronted with something we can't explain. Or we, no, we should yield whenever someone doesn't want to hear it. Okay. I yield. Go ahead. You go on with what you believe. I'm sharing with you the truth, and I'm not going to force you to believe the truth. Because if you can force someone to believe the truth, someone else can force them not to. Someone else can force them to believe the lie. And there will be many in those days that believe the lie rather than the truth. But that's just because they don't want to believe the truth. Jesus Christ died for everyone. He didn't just die for the good people, because I wouldn't be here. But I know that he died for all of us so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And anyone that accepts the gift of Jesus Christ is saved. People that apply earthly wisdom are always trying to prove themselves right. They're always trying to convince everyone that they know better, that they have the truth. And they're always trying to convince everyone of that. We don't have to. You know why? We know we have the truth. That's reality. 
You see, and not because we're smarter than anyone else. It's not because, man, I, I went to school for 17 years and I just have this wisdom beyond wisdom. I don't. As a matter of fact, the more I went to school, the more I realized I didn't know. You know, I wasn't wise. And then I started reading the Bible and realized how stupid I really was. How confused I really was. So it doesn't matter how much education we have. What it comes down to is what our relationship with the Lord is like. And that's where our knowledge, our wisdom comes from, through our relationship with him. People applying godly wisdom, they know they're right, but that doesn't mean that we now have to be arrogant about it. Because Jesus wasn't arrogant with us. He loved us before we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. He accepted us as we were, but he can't accept us into heaven until we accept him, until we receive him as our Savior. But he still loves us. And we have to demonstrate that same kind of love. That's why godly wisdom is also full of mercy, we're told here. Because we shouldn't judge others in a way that we ourselves don't want to be judged. Now, that doesn't mean that don't judge others. Quite often, we hear that verse and we hear, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. True. But the measure by which you judge others, you're going to be judged by. And basically what you're hearing is, if you're going to be willing to judge someone, you better make sure your life is right in the first place. Because if you're not, how can you judge someone else? How can you help someone take a speck out of their eye when you have a moat in your own? You know, and the moat is like a big beam. It's basically, it's like a big stick sticking out of your eye. And how can you help someone else if that's what your situation is? So we need to do things with mercy because Jesus showed us mercy. He gave us what we needed. We should also be willing to do that for others. James also tells us that the wisdom of God produces fruit. And it's not only important to apply the wisdom of God in our lives, but it should produce fruit. There should be some visible you know, uh, uh, explanation for what we believe in the fruit that is visible from our lives. They, there should be something that people can point to and say, I see that you're a believer in Jesus Christ because of this in your life, this fruit that's in your life. If we're not seeing fruit, then we have to ask ourselves, are we really applying the word of God to our lives? Are we really growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why we should see fruit. Finally, James tells us that we should apply godly wisdom without partiality or hypocrisy. This is a theme James continues through his letter, and true Christians will treat each other and others equally because God treats us equally. God doesn't look at Billy Graham and say, oh, I'm going to treat him differently than I'm going to treat everyone else because it's Billy Graham, you know? It, it's, he loves us all equally. 
and he loves us all fully. He can't love us any more than he loves us. It's not like his love varies. It doesn't. He loves us completely. So if God loves us that way, how should we love others? We can't do it as well as God can because we, we are not perfect. And we don't have the capacity. We're still human. But I can sure like people a lot. You know, let's just start with liking people. Okay? And then we'll move on to loving them. So I like strangers. I love my family in Christ. You know? But we should never get to the point where we dislike someone, where we hate someone, even if they don't agree with anything that we believe. It should never be a reason to hate them. It should be a reason to really demonstrate more of the love of Christ so hopefully that they will be led into the truth, that they will finally break. Because I know I wasn't a very lovable character when I became a believer. Some of you are looking at me like you're still not a lovable character, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm, I'm growing. I'm getting there. Verse 18, James says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James describes fruit being sown. The fruit that's produced from your life will then reproduce. It'll be sown and reproduce in the lives of others. That's how fruit propagates. So what's God growing in our lives. As we grow, as those seeds are planted, what is God growing? Righteousness. He is growing righteousness. But it's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness that's growing. So the fruit is developing righteousness in our lives and in others' lives as we also multiply, as this propagates. So We learned the same thing from Jesus. This is what Jesus said. He was um, out there. He goes out to the beach, and there's all these people gathered, and he gets onto a boat, and he's going to teach them. So he pushes away from the shore, and now he's going to teach the multitude that's gathered around in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. He says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, because they had no root, and they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So we're sowing seeds of righteousness, and quite often they land in places that will never produce fruit. Uh, You know, that doesn't mean that we stop sowing. That doesn't mean that we go out there and try to get some fruit to be produced. That's not the calling. The calling is to sow, is to go out there and sow, and regardless of where the seed falls, that's the result that's going to happen. But we don't stop sowing because we're not seeing the fruit produce when we expect it to be. 
back in James chapter 3, verse 18, when we sow in peace, we're preparing also the ground that we're sowing in. When you prepare the ground, well, sometimes you got to hoe it and you know, turn it over and mix it up and everything, but you're doing it not in an aggressive way, not in a way to ruin the ground. You want to nurture the ground. You want to put fertilizer into the ground. You want to mix it up and get that ground prepared. And that's when we're sowing into other people's lives, that's what we're doing when we love them. When we show them the love of Christ, we're preparing them for the fruit that eventually is going to be planted in them. If they become believers, it just starts as a small seed. And then it grows from there. But we need to prep. We, you know, I, I just think of the guys that are out there with the sign saying, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. How does that lead people to Christ? Don't tell them where they're going. Tell them where they could go. Amen. Tell them the good news. Don't tell them the bad news. If you're telling them they're going to hell, they're going to hell, oh, then I, I might as well become a Christian then. I'm going to hell. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to become a Christian. All right, now I'm a Christian. It, it won't work. You see, being a Christian is loving the fact that I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Loving and accepting the gift of salvation. Not forced into it. I, I'm not, I wasn't coerced to become a believer. It was the love that attracted me and drew me to him. And it started because the Holy Spirit started talking to me before I ever got to the point of accepting him as my Lord and Savior. And that, those are the seeds we're supposed to be planting. So in closing, James contrasted earthly and demonic wisdom against the wisdom of God. And the purpose of reading our Bibles and seeking the Lord in prayer is to seek for his wisdom. It is to realize what the truth is, what his wisdom is. And his word reveals it to us. His Holy Spirit reveals it to us. God is the origin of wisdom. And we don't have to look any further than his word and his Holy Spirit to receive that wisdom. So reading the Word of God will help us understand Him better. It will also help us understand His will, His plan for our lives. I don't mean the lives of the church. I don't mean, you know, what's God's will for Calvary Chapel, Fountain Hills. Yes, He will reveal that, you know, collectively, but it's an individual, it's a personal relationship that we have with Jesus. He wants to tell you what his will is for your life. He wants to reveal it to you. And your will for your life may be different than the person sitting next to you or across from you or in front of you. It may be different. That doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. We all have a personal relationship with Jesus. So, you know, we're not all eyeballs. We're not all ears. We're not all, you know, some of us have to be the big toe keeps things stable okay so that's okay if you're the big toe just don't be a stinky toe <laughs> we've been given everything we need to accomplish the will of God and now we just have to practice it and apply it 
That's all we have to do. And, and repeat and do it again and do it again. I pray that God would make his wisdom clear in your lives, that he would convict you if you need to be convicted. He would heal you if you need healing. That he would encourage you if you need encouragement. That he would reveal his wisdom to you if right now you're undecided, if you're confused. That he would give you what you need to accomplish his purposes, his will, because his will is the best thing for your life. And that's all of us. So I pray that he reveals those things to you and that he becomes the center of our attention in all things, Jesus, others, and yourself. Amen?